And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, and Lando Norris so nearly claimed his first Formula One victory in the Russian Grand Prix, only to be hung out to dry by late race rain that allowed Lewis Hamilton to take his long-awaited 100th victory. But although that gave Hamilton the World Championship lead, Verstappen's remarkable second place from the back limited the damage for Red Bull. I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to delve into a remarkable Russian Grand Prix are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. This podcast is sponsored by F1 Authentics, the home for official F1 memorabilia. You can get ultimate F1 memorabilia from sports memorabilia specialists, including artwork, signed photos, and authentic mini helmets. We're running a competition with F1 Authentics now that closes at 9pm on Tuesday, 28th September 2021. Head to We Are The Race on Instagram, that's We Are The Race, all one word on Instagram, to see how you could win one of these incredible prizes. Your name printed on a square with a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix checkered flag, or a Fernando Alonso 2021 1-2 scale helmet, or a Michael Schumacher 300th Grand Prix 1-2 scale helmet. Visit f1authentics.com to find out more about what they do. Well, Mark, you're not eligible for the F1 Authentics competition, I must stress that, but what takes your fancy there? Um, the Schumacher helmet for me. Uh, yeah, I, I think I could get quite into collecting those miniature helmets. But yeah, if um, if I had the choice of those, uh, Schumacher, I guess. And, um, you know, the the, the net, net Netflix film of documentaries just come out of them. So he's very much the front of front of a minds at the moment. And uh, yeah, um, that, that, that would be my choice. Yes. 
I can hear you're heading to the F1Authentics.com website even as we speak. Actually, that Schumacher 300th Grand Prix helmet, I'm pretty sure that for the first session at Spa that year, because it was Spa 2012, we went out to watch and then instantly got rained on, didn't we? I think we went to sort of the far side of the circuit, yeah. like Malmody way, and then uh, then the rain came down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we got a couple of uh, installation laps in, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best, that part of the session. Scott, how about you? Anything grabbing your attention there? Yeah, I think I'd be I'd be keen on um, one of the scale uh, scale model helmets. Um, same same reason Mark said uh, could very easily get into collecting those. I've got a couple of um, couple of different ones at home. I've got a couple of scale model cars as well because I tried to ha- I have like uh, something something to mark like each of the seasons that I've covered. So whether it's Formula E, touring cars, Formula One, so. Um, I could do that, and also like the Schumacher one would be a good one for me because I very nearly bought that very helmet about eighteen months ago. So if I was able to, you know, blag myself a, a, a free one, that would actually end up being quite good. I'd feel uh, winning any competition is obviously great, but if I won that after purchasing it eighteen months ago, I'd have been pretty disappointed. <laughs> well, I've got to stress you're not eligible for the competition, but That's all what the you listeners think. are. That's what you think. Well, as I said, head to We Are The Race on Instagram to see how you could win one of these prizes. But let's get into the race. Now, Scott, this is one of those races where I think it's logical to start with the end. So let's have a look at the crazy closing stages of the race. Norris led with Hamilton chasing him, but without ever having got quite close enough to make a convincing attempt to pass. Then the rain came on lap 46-ish. The key call was on lap 49 when Hamilton was brought in for intermediates by Mercedes and Norris stayed out. A decision that proved disastrous for McLaren. Hamilton won while Norris plummeted to cross the line seventh with fastest lap little consolation. We had loads of questions from the race members club, members of about this. Michael Passingham said, could McLaren have done a better job convincing Norris to come in? Niall Boyle says, for Norris, was it inexperience or pig-headedness that meant he didn't change his tyres when he had the chance? Says poor strategy call cost him there. And Simon T said he was amazed the McLaren pit wall didn't bring him in and would like the decision-making process explained. So all similar questions. So did they get it spectacularly wrong? Uh, well, yeah, because obviously it ended up backfiring massively. Um, he, he stayed out not only did he stay out one lap too long, uh, he ended. I think it was his second extra lap, wasn't it? That the the, the rain down came down particularly heavily, and obviously sent him. Uh, well, it very nearly sent him into the barriers and into retirement. So he's actually lucky he scored any points at all. Um, when when Hamilton was being told to come in by Mercedes, I think I was saying to you, Ed, when we were chatting during the race, or that like like we normally do, in no brainer for me. I, I thought Merck should bring Hamilton in as not obviously as soon as there was a first drops of rain, but it made total sense to me. They had, uh, I think, because obviously, uh, because yeah, Ser- Sergio Perez wasn't wasn't a factor behind. He'd rejoined after a slow pit stop and rejoined behind. I think it was uh, Signs and Ricardo. So they'd the top two had built this huge buffer, which meant that actually that Hamilton and Norris had a pit stop and more in hand. So I was looking at that and thinking, well, now the rain's coming. Norris seems to be driving quite aggressively. Hamilton a bit more cautiously. He's not catching him. He doesn't look like he's pressuring him. Pit, because you've got you've got the space and you've got another dozen or so seconds as well. So if it does prove to be slightly wrong and you're two or three seconds slower than the guys who stay on slicks, like you're still going to finish second. Hamilton had nothing to lose there. It was a really easy call for them. So I totally got that. But I didn't know what Norris should do. Because in that situation, when you have everything to lose as the guy who's out in front, that it's it's very difficult to to pull the pin and 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 come in. Where I think they got it wrong is 
once Hamilton had stopped and the rain was a bit heavier on the lap that Norris continued on, that should have triggered a really forceful McLaren pit wall. No, we need to be on the inters. The rain's clearly coming. Everyone else can see the rain coming. We've got we've got to stop. But there was just a little bit of hesitancy. They didn't want to completely overrule Norris. So he stayed out and we, we saw the consequences of that. It was very difficult because when we were having that conversation, I felt they should both stay out. But that's only because I didn't realise there was that second front of rain that was just behind the one that came through. So I thought the rain had stopped at that point and it was going to be one of those things of they could maintain the tyre temperature. It never got quite wet enough to be a problem. But then, of course, it was the fact the rain came back. Toto Wolff was asked after the race to run through what weather tools they have that gave them an advantage over McLaren. And he just said, well, we just looked at the Meteo France weather service that we've got that everyone's got. And it told us that. So that, that seemed to be a little bit him saying this was quite obvious uh, obvious to us. But yeah, a difficult situation. What do you think, Mark? I mean, obviously, had Norris come into the pits, presumably he'd have come out ahead of Hamilton as well. And every chance he could have uh, hung on and won, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And uh, the when Hamilton initially uh, chose to override the request to come in on lap 48, um, had Norris, I mean, Norris was leading, but so he, I don't mean McLaren should have responded to, to that, but had Norris come in when he was asked on 48 and had Lewis subsequently overrode Mercedes's request for him to come in, um, Mercedes would have lost that race. Um, so they, they, they were a little bit lucky in that, in that Norris did have that, um, refusal to comply and it's yeah it's a difficult one because he's leading the race and he will be feeling that um if he comes in and lewis stays out he's he's may we may well have lost the race because as you say it was there was a second front behind it and it, it felt to both of the norris and hamilton that well hang on you ask me to come in but it's it's the the rain's backing off now it, it, it's drying you're asking me to come in just just as the rain's backing off and so on the subsequent lap mercedes explained to hamilton no i know it is, i know it is but the second front is only 30 seconds away so you, you you must do it um it didn't quite get the team orders but there is a there is a protocol in place and it's to do with uh how the driver um responds to a request with a, a steering wheel pit confirm uh, switch and basically when he was asked for the second time lewis hit the pit confirm so there didn't have to be any team orders but in that situation at mercedes i don't know about at, at mclaren but at mercedes um had lewis not hit the pit confirm there would then have been a team order it would have been probably james valves or toto coming on saying no you, you must come in Whereas I I think it was a little bit you know McLaren aren't used to operating at, at this this level where this you know decisions have to be made which can win or lose you the race so they probably haven't got the same protocols in place and you know just left it up to the driver and interestingly at Red Bull it was completely Max's call to come in when he did and Red Bull just said well you know you you've got a better uh, handle on it you're you're the one that's out there right now um and he he was the one that that came in early so yeah um probably 
probably the different protocols of the different teams um, uh, you played played the part between Hamilton and well, between Mercedes and McLaren in, in how they handled that situation. Um, but that said, the Mercedes almost lost that race. Yeah, I think what Mark was saying about the um, the sort of assertiveness that Mercedes was bas- was prepared to take, ultimately Hamilton did cede to the order, so they didn't need to. But I, d- I think that's what was missing from, from McLaren. And Andrea Seidel talking to him afterwards sort of indicated that they were effectively making that decision by committee. And it was almost one of those decisions where it was, okay, well, everyone can have their relevant input, but then you do need someone to just <laughs> basically look at the the weather radar and just say nope <laughs> can't stay out on slicks for this and I think what was uh what was significant for me and it's interesting that it's interesting that Red Bull were, were, were saying that, that that Max had led had, had led his decision because pretty much every other driver said that they needed to be told for like by the by the team what was coming because obviously the driver's can react to what's in front of them. They can deal with the live conditions. So Norris especially was sat there in the car thinking, well, this is about manageable. And if it gets a bit worse, I think it's manageable. So that's what he's in control of. That's what he can judge and say, I think I can handle these conditions. He can't look around and go, oh, well, you know, that cloud looks particularly bad. So it's going to throw it down in two minutes. I need to pit. Um, And... I think in these conditions, when it's going from dry to wet, I think when there is another front of rain coming, that's where the team needs to be decisive. When it's the other way around, when you're trying to, you know, judge that crossover period wet to dry, then I think it's, we've seen countless examples in the past of, you know, it's the, the, the driver's feel and experience of those conditions absolutely comes to the fore. So I think possibly a little bit of the inexperience from Norris, but I do think, I think the like the the bulk of the responsibility there was on McLaren not being assertive enough, and one of the um, one of the things that I think was a bit misconstrued is that we we heard Norris snapping over the radio, but that wasn't you know petulance at him defying the team order. That was him basically being told, be, telling them to telling his engineer to not interfere when he's with what Norris was feeling at times was effectively superfluous information while he was in the moment and trying to trying to handle it. So I think that came across a little bit worse than than it was. Norris obviously didn't handle it completely perfectly and he absolutely had a part to play in the wrong decision being reached. But again, I've said it a few times now, I just think McLaren needed to just be as assertive as Mercedes was willing to be. Yeah, it was an unfortunate situation. I'd agree, yeah. The the team probably needed to be the ones to make the call because they did have that weather predicting software or the weather software that would show you that that front was uh, was coming in. But ultimately, as Fernando Alonso said after the race, sometimes it's just bad luck in situations like that. And Norris basically seemed like he probably had the race won because Hamilton wasn't quite making an impression. He was close, so it wasn't, it wasn't done and dusted. But yeah, it had been very difficult. But Mark... How significant a weekend do you think this was for Norris, given he did come so close to winning and got that first pole position? Oh, yeah, it was. It's another step on the way, isn't it? Um, obviously, he's going to feel absolutely gutted tonight, but I think um, when he, he reflects on it, you know, you know two, two or three months away from the pain, he's probably going to look back on this weekend as a very significant step in his career because... Um, he got the pole position and he was going to win the race. And it was just a randomizing uh, external factor, really, which ultimately cost him. 
I, I thought this had uh, echoes of uh, Charles Leclerc in Bahrain in 2019, where you have, you know, that that young that 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 young driver, all the stars aligning, nails it in qualifying. Okay, actually, even more similar, both lost the lead at the start of the race and had to had to find their way back. Kept calm when they could have lost their head a little bit, and drove absolutely exemplary and then lost it in heartbreaking circumstances at the end. So this did echo uh, that Leclerc loss in 19. And I also think it sent exactly the same message. Obviously, the circumstances aren't entirely different unless Charles did something back in whatever it was, April 2019, to fry the control of electronics on his Ferrari. I think he was completely blameless in in his uh, in his defeat. Whereas, as we said earlier, Lando does have a part to play in, in what happened here. But up to that point, Lando did everything, didn't he? Such a strong statement to show that after Monza, where he'd had this feeling of, I just really wish I could have gone for the win, but it was Daniel in front of me and I didn't want to jeopardise the team's 1-2 first win since 2012. Lando said that was still on his mind. It had been playing on his mind a little bit because he didn't. there was just a what could have been if he'd been allowed to challenge Ricardo at Monza. Could he have won in Formula One for the first time. And here he was with an opportunity to make amends because of the circumstances around Lewis's race. Uh, Norris actually, he didn't have a free run at it, but he he had the buffer in place that he needed to have that little edge over the faster Mercedes. Did a great job to get back ahead of Carlos Sainz early on. Did absolutely everything right. And then it's just that twist at the end takes it away from him. But I think he's proved plenty of times this season already that he's a top line driver in the making if not already and now we've seen him cope with the just some of the highest amounts of pressure that you can have in in, in Formula One and if he'd won that race no no one would have said oh yeah but he got a bit lucky didn't he that would have been absolutely earned the hard way completely on merit so he doesn't have the trophy to show for it he doesn't have the points to show for it but everything about that everything else about that performance was was that of a race winner wasn't it yeah very much so i think what he's just doing is he's building up a nice backstory so that when he gets his first win, we can talk through all these things obviously he's done that with the pole thing because i asked him after qualifying when he got pole if that kind of made up for what happened at spa when he had every chance of, of being able to take pole in the wet but then had the shunt in q2 and he sort of said yeah it kind of it gave him what he feel he missed out on on there so he, he missed out on the pole got it this time he's missed out on the win this time Next time he'll he'll get it. But I don't think anybody seriously doubts that Lando Norris is going to be a multiple Grand Prix winner down the line. The way he's evolving, as Mark alluded to, this season over the past few years is, is remarkable. He's really taken that step into that uh, into that potential future world champion kind of bracket now. Uh, only a matter of time before uh, before he wins. But Mark, let's have a look at the uh, the race in wider terms. We discussed it all boiled down to Hamilton versus Norris at the end. But Mercedes and Hamilton made pretty heavy weather of the weekend didn't they all things considered so i guess to understand that we've got to go all the way back to the the q3 problems that that meant the race was uh was one of, of catch-up for hamilton yeah it was all about the jeopardy of the last few moments of q3 wasn't it as the track dried out maybe enough to get onto slicks but maybe not quite because the, the slicks took two or three laps to get up to temperature so what what do you do in that situation and Mercedes were less uh, willing to do what they felt was the riskier choice, which was to change tyres that dominated on the on the inters all the way through up, up until that point. Um, and there was still time to be found on the inters as as the 
proved on the subsequent lap and the, the, the sector times were taking chunks out of it. But yeah, if you're if you're McLaren or you're Ferrari, you're not in contention. Then what is there to lose about you know to to try a more adventurous thing? Um, there, there might be something there for the for the taking, and it and it, and it worked on this occasion. It worked, and that's where it went wrong. Um, that put Lewis on the second row instead of pole, probably, um, and that's what put him in the position that he was down at turn two, which he was even taking a, a, a sniff at maybe trying for the lead when um, Lando went to one way to block him and Sainz went the other way uh, to, to go around the slipstream past him. And that blocked Lewis in place, which meant he completed the first lap in seventh place. So from <laughs> from pole to fourth on the grid to seventh at the end of the first lap, it was, that's, that's you know, he had a lot of, it had all gone downhill very quickly, and he had a lot of rebuilding to do from there. It was one of those those classic ones, wasn't it, for a, a fast car that's out of position that he was contained for the first part of the race, wasn't it? It wasn't until I think Ricardo pitted so about lap twenty two that Hamilton finally was actually able to make some progress. He was basically frozen, wasn't he, for the first not far off half of the race, really. But then he started to show that pace, and it, it was that kind of middle phase of the race before his stop and after his stop where he turned it into him versus Norris, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it was, I think, probably a very big relief that Ricardo stopped when he did because he'd been told, do the opposite of what Ricardo does on this lap. And Ricardo came in on, on that lap, and that gave Lewis the free air. But had he not done, Perez was just behind, and Verstappen was only three seconds back. So it was they they were the Red Bulls were looking very threatening at that point, and it was getting because um, they'd started on the hard tire, so they they had to basically run long enough that they could give themselves a short enough stint to to run the medium, and it was getting close to to that sort of part of the race where it was going to be feasible to do that. In which case, if Hamilton had still been stuck there behind that McLaren, um, you know they they could have been looking at undercutting ahead of him. And getting onto the medium tire, and obviously getting a faster outlap, etc. So, yeah, it was it was reaching uh, it was reaching a critical moment uh, when um, when Ricciardo just got out of the way in time. And I guess the the key question: once Hamilton had caught him, anyone wants to say for certain that Hamilton would have been able to pass Norris? No, to me, it didn't look like he was going to. It looked like he could get within one point two, one point one seconds, and then. He just he was getting more understeer as he tried to get in the into the DRS range. So, yeah, it looked it looked very familiar. It looked like he was was going to be no easier to pass Norris than it had been in the first in the past Ricciardo. Yeah, there was a run of there was a run of laps, weren't there, where every time Lewis would take a couple of attempts out of him in sector one, a temp in sector two, and then lose four temps in in sector three, and uh, it was just. It, it it was it was the classic chase of someone at Sochi, wasn't it? When you don't have a second, a second and a half pace advantage, and you get stuck, and that final sector is a killer. Should we have a bit of a look at Max Verstappen now, Scott? Because to nobody's great surprise, Max Verstappen took the new power unit this weekend. We were pretty much expecting that. Started twentieth and last. So how exactly did he manage to salvage second place from there? It's an excellent question, Ed. Uh, I think uh, I think there were probably. Uh, there would have been many, many times during that Grand Prix where Verstappen would have thought that even even finishing in the top five would have been 
would have been a great outcome in the end. It was it was a weird race for him because he sort of he actually made pretty decent progress in the first part, including pulling a really sweet move on Valtteri Bottas, and he was actually sort of just chipping away, chipping away towards the top 10. And what you were saying earlier about Lewis being contained almost in that first stint, how many times have we seen this before where that first stint when people are in a DRS train and everyone's managing everything, the fuel loads are at their maximum, it's a bit of a waiting game. And if you're coming through the field with a faster car, you kind of have to wait for the field to spread out so you can pick everybody off one by one. So the fact that Max had got himself into the top 10 pretty early on, seemed to be setting him up for, for for a relatively good result. But then it's his race stagnated. He'd uh, I should point out, by this point, he'd already got lucky once with that chop that Charles Leclerc did on him, where Charles basically was uh, had lost where Max was in his, his wing run. And I think, were they fighting, I think, with Vettel at the time? And Charles was trying to go where well, he did. He launched a move up the inside of Vettel. But in doing so, he had to swerve across Verstappen as Verstappen was trying to poke his nose inside with a concrete wall on the right-hand side. And Max even said he's lucky he didn't lose his front wing in that incident. So having survived all of that and made pretty good progress and laid the foundations for a solid race, he then has his pit stop and he just stagnated in the the the, the second stint. And it looked like he was... I, I thought he was going to be... I thought he was going to be sort of, I don't know, P6, P7 and maybe not much better than that and uh as he as he admitted afterwards it was all in the perfect timing of going to intermediates and yeah it sounds like it was his call whether it was actually entirely his call um i guess only red bull knows um i'm sure max had a part to play in that because we know that he's uh he's given quite a lot of uh command of the situation should we say red bull just trusts him implicitly so um just timing of the intermediates, absolutely perfect. And then obviously what happened with Lando gave him another place as well. So all of a sudden, I think Max said, even in, a, in normal situations, in the most plain of Russian Grand Prix, with no penalties, Max reckons he'd probably be third in that race. He's managed to start last and finish higher than he would have done in a normal situation without a penalty. Yeah, it was... Uh... A brilliant timing for for Verstappen, you'd have to say. Yeah, seventh was where he was just stuck. He was behind Alonso for a big chunk of that stint. I think I think he was just behind Ricardo just before he pitted because Alonso got past Ricardo. The bit I quite liked is when uh, Hamilton was in part firm at the end, he pulled into his P1. I don't know whether he'd been told the results. He probably had, but in my mind, there was just this moment where he's sort of getting out of the car and celebrating and then sees Verstappen pulling up P2. And you just imagine that moment again, ah. Oh. How's he done that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> finally, actually pulls off the win, doesn't he? And it's just, and it's a seven-point game. It's a seven-point gain from a race where, in normal situation, in a normal situation, you know, Lewis should have won that quite comfortably. And based on how we saw the race playing out up until the rain, Max, when Max was seventh, so what would that have been? 15, 17, probably about nineteen points, I think, that Lewis would have gained on him. And he said he's taken seven out of him now there's a decent chance between now and the end of the year, Lewis is going to have to take a, a grid penalty of his own for a, for a fourth engine. I don't think Lewis is going to only lose seven points to Max when, depends on the circuit, obviously, but that, going from the back to second is a tall order. So I I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a huge win for Verstappen in the circumstances. 
Well, there's just two points separating the championship now. Hamilton's back ahead. I think that's the fourth change of leadership of the championship, which, yeah, enjoying that, more of that. If they can keep swapping to the end of the season, that'll be good. Uh, but there's a question mark from Oscar Robledo from the Race Members Club, who asks if this result puts Verstappen ahead in the title race, even if he's a couple of points behind in the literal sense. And given Mercedes has never been run this close before in the hybrid area, is the pressure from Red Bull beginning to tell on both team and driver? Oh, I think yeah. I mean, you're in a championship fight, and obviously, I mean, everybody tries to play down the pressure and says they're not feeling it, but of course they do. The whole team does, and the drivers do, and everybody on the team, including the crew doing the pit stops, etc. Yes, um, and you know, by by nature, that that will induce more more errors. Um, so yes, they are under pressure, but um, Red Bull aren't under less pressure than Mercedes. You know, they they, they absolutely. Um, Got enormous pressure on as well. They, they they're desperately trying to to win this championship and stop it being a, a clean sweep. Uh, so and then you know get back to to their title winning ways as well. So yeah, I mean it's um it's very much on edge. You know the the more it swings backwards and forwards and like like this, it, it, you know the and the the races are ticking down. It, um, the more that pressure is just going to amplify. Yeah, seven races to go, so it's going to continue to be ramped up, I guess, and uh, mistakes will be magnified. Alex Davey asks, as much as Hamilton winning his 100th Grand Prix, which is an amazing achievement, is what Mercedes would have wanted from today, do you think Verstappen finishing second, Mercedes will see today as somewhat of a missed opportunity, given they put Bottas at the back to make Max's life harder? Well, I did ask Toto Wolff about that, and he kind of accepted that both this weekend and Monza there, there have been missed opportunities for them. They should have made, uh, should have made bigger gains. Uh, you'd have to say, and yeah, Mercedes needs to maximise its opportunities. You'd probably say that Red Bull has left a little bit less on the table so far this year in terms of their own mistakes, should we say? So, yeah, very difficult. But Scott, we should briefly mention 100 Grand Prix. That's a lot of wins, isn't it? Fairly obvious. I think we know Lewis Hamilton's a pretty good driver by now, but I guess it's uh, good to get the uh, to, to get that 100th, given it's been a few races since the 99th. Yeah, nice for him to be able to, um, I guess, raise the metaphorical bat, have that century. It's quite a. It's just in the in the list of crazy stats and achievements he's got. That's one of the coolest ones now, isn't it? It's just something about the about the 100 that, that that is very cool, especially because he was making hard work of reaching it, wasn't he? <laughs> Obviously. Took him a while to win again after getting to 98. Got to 99 in very controversial circumstances. And then he's had a few opportunities since then. And just it's just things have kept going awry. He could have had the 100th win two or three times by now. So uh, I this, this was a suitably, not chaotic, but suitably hectic way of doing it, I suppose, given the season that he's having. Um, and I think we, we know that he doesn't, get too carried away with statistics and records like that so it's not like he was sat there going oh when am I going to get this this is like really starting to weigh me down now but it's just a nice one to get out of the way celebrate you've there's all sorts of images and videos and and graphics and all sorts doing the rounds on social media and stuff to commemorate it it's just a nice opportunity because he's won so many races now sometimes it's diff- they all blend together so it's just a nice opportunity to pause take stock of the 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 magnitude of the achievement and then also have a little think back reflect on some of the best ones and the most memorable 
Well, we're going to get on to the, uh, the other Mercedes driver, Valtteri Bottas, in a minute, who was mentioned uh, in that question. But first, we would like to tell you about NordVPN. If you don't know what a VPN is, it's a virtual private network. In times when internet security is more important than ever, a VPN will protect you online. All three of us, in fact, use VPNs, given we spend so much time travelling, which means lots of unsecured public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, media centres, coffee shops and the like. But for anyone who ever logs on to the internet in public areas, a VPN VPN is a massively important tool. Very simple to use as well, but it hides your IP address and you can change your virtual location so you can access geographically restricted content on websites. For those of us covering F1, it's a vital tool of the trade as well. As occasionally we go to places where you can't access your emails or certain social media platforms uh, without a VPN. Do you, do you remember that, Mark, when we first went to a certain country and everyone was discovering the joy of VPNs some years ago? I do, yes, <laughs> yeah, and um, it was uh, the, that 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 particular country had lots of um, uh, people monitoring uh, everybody's networks, and um, uh, apart apart from the the, the 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 VPN issue, there was also um, they were seeing who had um, viruses, and the guy next to me, who who'll be nameless, but you could probably guess who it was, um, hadn't bothered with any um, security, and. Uh, People came rushing out. These IT people came rushing out in a big panic, saying, "You got 102 viruses on your computer, Mister Bleep," and they sorted it out for him. There's always someone with a dodgy laptop, isn't there? It's just uh, unavoidable. But this this is why NordVPN uh, is so important. So we were able to use it to access emails and social media platforms and still do. And I must admit, when I first signed up for that, I didn't realise just how important it was for the privacy and security side And until much more recently. NordVPN is high speed as well, very high speed. In fact, I'm connected using it now, and this podcast is flying along brilliantly in terms of recording it. I can see both Scott and Mark very clearly on this uh, video call. So yeah, so certainly fast. And if it sounds complicated with talk of encryption tunnels and IP addresses and all that, it's actually incredibly easy to use. You just sign up, switch it on, and you're away. With one click on your device, you can jump between 60-odd countries to access content and safely use public Wi-Fi without any security concerns. So if it sounds like a VPN is for you, and it is for anybody who values online security, head to nordvpn.com forward slash the race and use the code the race. And that's the race with no hyphen. So just nordvpn.com forward slash the race and use the code the race. Our limited time only offer allows you to get 73% off a two year NordVPN plan plus four bonus months on top of that. And if you're still not sure if a VPN is for you, there's a 30 day money back guarantee. So head for nordvpn.com forward slash the race and use the code the race. Well, let's get back to Valtteri Bottas, Mark. I don't know whether he was using a VPN during the race. I doubt it. But there were plenty of reasons to think this could be a pretty big weekend for him. But it just it ended up not being, didn't it? Seventh in qualifying, started down in 16th thanks to the power unit. Changes tomorrow. Salter asks, knowing that he isn't the best in defending his position, why did Mercedes decide to take the new PU and put him at the back of the grid? Because Verstappen got past him pretty easily and Bottas was finding it difficult to make up places until he jumped onto the intermediates. And we had a similar question from Edward Steiger about whether it was the right call to make the, the changes. It's slightly more complicated, the engine change, than uh, perhaps was presented in some quarters, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, there, there was um, a, a technical reason for changing the power unit, we understand. Um, but also, uh, as a bonus, I guess they were thinking it, it would d at least delay um, Max's progress through the field and therefore potentially um, how many positions he could make up. Um, but that uh, 
that sort of went by the wayside as early as lap six with that move that you mentioned earlier on with that Max put on Valtteri. Um, yeah, I mean, the thinking also, he, he qualified, um, what was it, seventh. The thinking also was that he, he, he might struggle to um, make much headway past the likes of Ricardo and and Russell uh, from from that grid slot where he was. Um, and so that, you know, there the, the was also... There's also that, yeah. In, in hindsight, they're all like no, and all these things. When something doesn't work out, you can look back and say, "Yeah, well, that was obviously wrong, wasn't it?" And yeah, I don't know. I I just think Valtteri didn't have a very good weekend, and it it it, it was made worse for him by the events of of qualifying with with the weather, and then with the delay from Lewis. Although that didn't actually. Um, it, Change anything in in terms of uh, how many um, laps Valtteri could have got in on the on the slick tires, but yeah, it it just I don't think it was a very good performance from Valtteri at all, and he didn't seem as though he was really up for it this weekend. I think the Mercedes engine change ended up playing out pretty well purely because of how Bottas got saved by the by the rain and the switch to the Inters at the end, because Mer- I think Merck were were sort of left thinking. That one of the one of uh, in their decision making process to change the engine, basically, the new engine that Bottas had at Monza seems to have picked up a problem, and he was actually qualified on a higher mileage engine, which Mercedes basically sort of suggested that given where he was starting as well, and this might have fed into what Mark was saying about oh, I don't know if they'll be able to to maybe pick off the quicker cars in the midfield ahead higher mileage engine might not have helped with that um and they were sort of thinking well actually maybe they should have just left the high mileage one in and started seventh because the the new one didn't exactly help him make progress but obviously they have now put a new one in the pool and by 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 a large element of luck Bottas has come out of the race with a fifth place finish so it's it's ended up working out pretty well for Mercedes in the circumstances that could have actually been a much bigger bit of something backfiring than than it was, especially as obviously it looked like at one point Sergio Perez was going to be gunning for a podium. He ended up falling down the order. Okay, Max benefited as well, but so did Bottas. So Merck have ended up coming out of this, extending their lead in both championships. Yeah, and partly thanks to the chaos of those uh, those late stages in the uh, in the race. Another driver who could have been better or worse, I guess, at times in the race. That was Carlos Sainz. He was very unhappy at one stage in the race, wasn't he, when he was told he was fifth, having led uh, in the first stint. But he came through to finish third. I personally was really impressed with his decision-making, the way he executed that start. Very, very well done. But Sean Rooney says, Today Ferrari found itself well out of the mix, both before and after the rain fell. It was the fact that at one point Sainz found himself 30 seconds behind the race lead as an example of classic Ferrari strategy disarray, or a driver taking too much out of the tyres and not being able to execute the strategy? Well, I I, I, I don't think... I, I think Sainz has done a very good job of getting quite close to the maximum of the, the Ferrari over one lap. But it does... There does seem to be a little bit of him just not quite having cracked it in in the races. We've seen a couple of at least a couple of races now where Leclerc's race pace is just better and he seems to manage the the tires a little bit better. So Carlos has talked about just needing to to just keep improving, keep understanding the Ferrari, get the most out of it. He he feels that this was his 
cleanest weekend for Ferrari so far and the best one overall, but obviously it still wasn't perfect. So I think it was just, ultimately, he qualified out of position, didn't he? I know Lando wasn't, I know Lando was on pole for that reason as well. George Russell was third for, for the same reasons, but there was always that element of, think the McLaren was a quicker and more competitive package than the Ferrari this weekend. Um, then you've got a driver like Norris, who's probably getting the most out of that package. Signs in race trim, maybe a little bit below where the Ferrari quite is. I don't think the Ferrari would have slipped back the way it did if Leclerc was in it, for example. But also just the way the strategy played out, I think Signs in that pack after the first pit stop, which is sort of, I think, why he ended up in that position where he's told, you know, at this point, I think you're headed for fifth or that was the something like that was the message and he responded with only fifth. He was so confused. Um, so I think it's just a few different factors came together and he's done well in the end to um, to turn it into a, a third place finish. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good result for, for science, all things considered with the machinery. He had, what did you make of it, Mark? I, th- I thought that was fine. Yeah, I think um, the Ferrari is a little bit prone to that, you know, abusing the front tyre a little bit. Um, and you have to be very sensitive to that. And I think he's maybe not quite keyed in finely enough to to feel it properly. And there was a period where he suddenly started um, pulling out a gap on Lando and he went from, I don't know, less than a second ahead to like 2.3, 2.4 over three three laps. And then pretty much immediately after that, he started um, losing time and um, the, the left the left front had died basically so yeah i think it's something that the car is prone to um but i don't think he's quite on top of um you know feeling the the last little edge of that um but i don't think it was a, a strategy error as such uh, i don't think the team i think the team just reacted as it as well as it could to to how the car was yeah, it's it's always important to remember that the the, stra- the one strategy doesn't necessarily fit all because it's the way you work the tyres. So sometimes two different teams making a stop on a certain lap in seemingly identical situations might be wrong for one and right for the other. So it's always important to factor that in. Uh, Mark, Fernando Alonso, he finished sixth. He was frustrated not to be third, actually, which was possible given he was uh, cracking on and, and could have passed Perez if the rain hadn't intensified. And then he was one of the later ones to, to switch to intermediates. He made his cunning very clear on that first lap when he used the runoff. Uh, on the opening lap. Uh, Karun Chandok had spotted he did that on a recce lap as well. Uh, Niall Boyle asks why he wasn't penalised for that. You tend to get away with stuff like that on the first lap um, if if it looks, you know, feasible that he might have needed to go across there to avoid an accident. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the fact that he'd already practised it did make it extra suspicious, didn't it? And I seem to recall a few years ago in his uh, first career, he, he did something similar at Singapore, on the uh, the, the the little um, escape road there on the inside, um, but yes, I, I mean, yeah, I, he, I thought he was very much vintage Alonso this weekend. Uh, he looked on top of everything. He was very quick. He didn't quite get the managed to get the tire um, in the in the sweet spot in qualifying, and not, I, I was surprised that because he had a good he had a good running slot. He was one of the the last across the line. Um, but it didn't. He just didn't get the the tire up to full temperature, and it only qualified sixth. But I mean, sixth was okay. Um, but I thought he might have been fighting our pole with um, Norris and Sainz. 
But other than that, he, to me, looked very much uh, like the vintage Alonso that we used to know. He was quick. He was aggressive. Uh, he was probably fighting cars which were quicker than his car. I thought it was uh, terrific. Uh, I thought he was operating at a very high level this weekend. And I think his first corner or second corner, as it technically is there, there was an element of premeditatedness about it because you're okay if you go through that little chicane thing. And he's been complaining this year about drivers getting that advantage on the first lap. And so he's been saying, remember in Austria, saying, well, I'm going to start doing this now if the rules don't count. So he's warned people, he's complained about it, no one's been penalised for it. So uh, I think he's uh, absolutely within his rights to uh, to do that. Scott, George Russell, another star performance. Tenth in the race perhaps wasn't as good as it should have been, given he felt eighth was possible. He didn't quite play out as he would have hoped, but he had another sensational qualifying performance to take third and held his own in the first stint, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, he looked like um, he might make good on Toto Wolff's uh, pre-race uh, prediction that he could lead into turn two. Well, that didn't quite go to plan. But yeah, he had uh, <laughs> he had a first stint just to show how difficult it is to overtake uh, Sochi he just had a first stint where he was just happily plodding along in third which was um a little bit it's like uh, when Nicholas Latifi found himself in third at the uh the Hungarian Grand Prix you just have a Williams just sort of do, doing its own thing quick enough to just keep out of uh out of danger from the cars behind it's just it's actually just because because the it's not coincidence that this team and especially this driver keep cropping up when unusual circumstances and can and different conditions play out so yeah there's an element of luck in that regard but it's not just that they're getting they're fluking their way into running third on the road so when it happens if it's once or twice a year I just can't help but enjoy it because it's kind of nice to see and he was always I think to borrow a phrase that you use quite a lot Ed he was always battling gravity in that race wasn't he he was always going to fall down it was a matter of whether he'd cut his losses enough to be able to hang on to to the top 10 and the point the bottom line is it's what the fourth points finish in five races for George and, and, and Williams which if you'd if you'd uh, offered that to them at the start of the year regardless of whether you'd thrown in the second place in what was uh, supposedly the Belgian Grand Prix they'd have taken that wouldn't they oh definitely yeah they, they've got a Ridiculous amount. What's that? Twenty three points. Twenty three points they've got now, which is just a ridiculous uh, num- number <laughs> for, of number for the of eight, points. For the eight four nine fastest car, it absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's, it's really good. And it, it's difficult because they had to follow Stroll into the pits. There was a convenient gap that Stroll went for, and that probably wasn't ideal. And and when the rain came. Russell was already really struggling with the tyres that were well past their best. To, that Once you get the tyres to a certain age, it's really hard to keep the temperature in them. And he was losing temperature and he'd just been passed by Vettel for the 10th place. So the, the, the rain was helpful for him. He was able to, to pit for intermediates. Um, Mark, Kimi Raikkonen, remember him? Had his best result for two years with 8th place. On his return, he'd been out of action for two races with COVID-19. It's quite good to see him getting a, a result with a, a pretty strong race drive, especially after a, a fairly dismal wet qualifying. Yeah, um, he was um, just looked like a good a good professional performance. Didn't really put a foot wrong. Um, yeah, he just uh, he, he pretty much nailed the nailed his weekend really. And it was his call to pit as well. Absolutely his, uh, the team said. So, yeah, experience paid dividends uh, there, and that allowed him to jump up from just outside the points to, to be able to get uh, to get that eighth place. 
Someone who didn't do quite so well, Scott, was Pierre Gasly, who seemed to be very angry this weekend. Uh, angry after qualifying, angry after the race. So, what, what was going on with him? Yeah, the, uh, he must have uh, got out the bed the wrong side both days. He was in uh, he was in a foul mood by the end of it. But it was because in both on both days and for the weekend over overall, big opportunity missed for Alpatauri. Had a lot of pace going into qualifying and and felt like there was a lot lot more on 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 the table but they they misjudged the 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 way the conditions played out in in qualifying so he was he was angry at just the decision that the team had made and and felt that he needed the strategy justifying to him because it, it didn't make any sense he was absolutely furious we saw it after qualifying the amount of wheel banging and gesticulation and and everything on the way back to the to the to the pits and then even when he was in the coming into the garage as well and then afterwards because the FAA building that the drivers go through where they they get, they get weighed out the back of that is where it leads to the TV pen and the, the the written media pen where we were waiting and Pierre just came storming out of that face like thunder and uh, he just disappeared around the corner behind a container and then you just heard like an almighty thump on something like metal so he'd obviously just like hit something to take some of the the frustration he was absolutely furious there and he just looked um i wouldn't say he was he looked angry after after the race after the race he just looked fed up he was just he didn't understand why the team had misunderstood the weather situation effectively it sounded like not sure how maybe this ties into what mclaren did maybe maybe it's easy to do this but it sounded like the team hadn't clocked the rain that was coming. Because he sort of suggested that, I think he even said, like, we didn't we didn't think there was going to be any more rain. And I think he was just looking at where some of the other cars ended up, both in qualifying and the race, and just thought, how have we ended up underperforming like this? Because these are conditions where, and these are situations we should be absolutely on it, making the most of our pace and scoring a big result. And instead, he's had a, an anonymous weekend. Yeah, and AlphaTauri and, and Gasly, there have been too many times where they've not got the, the results they should have done, really, because that car's very quick. Obviously, Gasly's been driving very well, largely. Yuki Tsunoda, his confidence seems to have really, really vanished, uh, particularly the second half of the season. I thought he, he finished the, uh, the the first half of the year pretty pretty strongly, but really hasn't, hasn't built on that. But it's yeah been difficult for them. We had a question from Elliot Crosnan from the Race Members Club who said, who was the fastest driver on intermediate tyres? Which I didn't know the answer off the top of my head to this, but I did have a look. And the reason I've put this question here is it was in fact Pierre Gasly. He said a 1 minute, uh, one minute 48.907 on the last lap, which was the, the quickest one. Valtteri Bottas, I think, was the only other driver to dip under the 1 minute 50. Mark with a, a 49.681 just after he stopped and uh, others were kind of low 50s people like Vettel and uh, yeah others were, were were slower than that so Gasly at least had the fastest intermediate lap of the race I don't think that'll be much consolation for for him though uh, Mark another team that perhaps will be scratching its head as to why it came away with nothing is uh, Aston Martin because there were moments when a decent result seemed on Vettel was quick in the wet in qualifying but was eliminating Q2 Stroll ran fourth in the first stint Ended up 11th and 12th with Stroll ahead and had collided along the way. Um, what do you make of Aston Martin? And also Niall Boyle's question, which is asking how big a liability is Stroll for Aston Martin is his racecraft is very spotty at times. Yeah, I think Aston were sort of on the verge of um, something quite good this weekend. Just 
didn't quite nail it. Um, Sebastian, uh, I think he only lost out getting into Q3 by five hundredths, which um, it would have been at the expense of Science, and Science went on to qualify second, of course. So yeah, just 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 not quite hitting those opportunities, are they? And I think um, they don't have the pace to you sort of automatically put themselves in those positions, but they're close enough that with a little bit of opportunity, they might grasp onto something, but they never, they never seem to quite nail it. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as, as for Lance, his, I think he, I think he was surprised by Seb being, I don't think it was anything um, intentional about it. When you, when you look at it head on, you can see, Lance is looking over to the right as, as he's taken up his natural line to that. And um, I think he was probably shocked by the, the sudden impact of um, Vettel, who was you know, trying to pounce and go around the outside. So yeah, a, bit, a little bit unfortunate, but it's not it's not the first time that they've had some sort of um, incident or close incident on track. And it'll, it'll be, be getting a little bit niggly there, I would think. Um, they need to sort of uh, sort that out. Yeah, it happened to Monza on the first lap at the first Lesmo, didn't it, as well, with Vettel hung out to, to dry. I, don't, I wouldn't say Stroll's a liability in racecraft, but I do think he's a bit lacking in that area because he's particularly a driver who just sort of sits in in races, I like to think of it. I never kind of feel like, even when he's got the pace, after, except for first laps when he can make up good ground, he just sort of tends to just be there and not be able to prize those openings and that kind of thing. So he's fine, Stroll as a driver, but we know why he's there. And I'm not convinced that his ultimate potential is, uh, is certainly to be a world champion. Let's uh, let's say I should probably be stronger than not convinced. There's also a question from David Claiborne, who asked about the logic of pitting Stroll so early, given he was running fourth and he was the first to stop at the end of lap 12. What do you make of that, Mark? There was that really inviting gap, wasn't there, down the order. So I guess someone was always going to take it. There was an inviting gap, and there was an undercut there to be done on Russell, uh, who was holding holding him up. Um, so yes, so it, did, it it succeeded in undercutting him past Russell, but um, allowed a lot of other people to overcut past them both. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was one of those tricky races strategically in the end because there were there weren't that many gaps to be had because the the field's relatively condensed these days, so you don't get these huge chasms opening up. Previously, you'd see the cars at the front would would pull away the Class A cars, and they'd be just endless no man's land between them and the rest of the field but it's uh, one of the reasons why this year has been interesting is, is that sort of thing has been happening which is uh, which is very positive and another great race uh, great race today uh, well thanks to scott and mark for your insight do head to the race.com having not forgotten the hyphen of course as there's loads to read there from a race weekend that was full of interesting nuances and detail there's mark's race analysis to read my driver ratings uh, will be up there and scott's delving into explaining the mercedes engine situation all sorts of other things Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and the Race IndyCar podcast. And if video is your thing, check out our YouTube channel, as there's loads to watch as well. With just seven races to go, this title battle isn't showing any signs of becoming any less intense. So make sure you follow it every step of the way with us on the Race F1 podcast. <laughs>